0: Hello! Welcome to the podcast. Ah. I'm Jörg, and here is AJ on the other okay. side of the
1: room, you far, look far at, away. Look at you taking the uh, taking the initiative. Very nice, very nice.
0: <laughs> well, just thought, why not?
1: <laughs> In a minute we have... Hussens!
0: who are known to actually have released and published a lot of games back in the days. And we we'll talk about who is soft and what they are doing nowadays.
1: Before that, though, we've got some, I guess some things have happened. I don't know. I, yeah. feel, like, I feel like we just did this like a day ago.
0: Well, add another zero mm-hmm. behind it. And <laughs> we have it more likely. Yeah. Anyway, so what happened? Um... Mortal Kombat 11 was released, also on the Switch, which is another one of those games um, that is heavily downsized when it comes to graphics quality, but the thing that really surprised most people
1: is... Lithuania is calling me.
0: Why is somebody from Lithuania calling you?
1: You got me? No, I'm not talking to nobody at Lithuania. Okay, carry on, carry on. I thought that was just funny. I had (laughs) had someone from Sierra Leone call me the other day. I don't know why these numbers are calling me.
0: Yeah, I actually had a call from USA some years ago, and he was like, what? I read Germany. Oh, I'm sorry. Hmm. Like, yeah, well, if you started with 4.9, that usually means the country code of Germany. Oh, I didn't know. I'm sorry. Yeah. Try with the one instead, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, okay, so back back to the news. Yes, yes. So um, Mortal Kombat 11 was released and um, on the Switch as well. And apart from the downsize of graphic quality, that's no surprise here. But what was surprising is it requires to be always online. And that on a portable console. Even yeah. in single player story mode. Yeah. So, if you are on the go and you don't have constant wireless LAN connection, you are doomed. <laughs> great design.
1: Great design.
0: Yeah. So, I tried it in the train. Fortunately, our trains here in Germany now have um hotspot. Well it worked. So I was lucky. Cool. But I guess uh, that's not the most common thing to happen. So forget to play the game on the go.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah. I kept it anyway. Originally I was planning to return it
1: on the oh, go. You day said you're you gonna give it back. Yeah.
0: But then I was like, okay, well, why not? Hmm. Um, the other thing that really surprised me is you have a tutorial mode where you learn all the movements and key combinations Right. and the tutorial um, text where to press the buttons and so on is so small on the screen impossible to read on the go Hmm. so I gave that up and I plan to to master the tutorial on a tv instead and after i know how all these combinations are working combo uh, moves and so on then i will finally try to play it on the go for real gotcha yeah um that's basically the news I've
1: got.
0: <laughs> well, um, Super Mario
1: Brothers on the C64, as we said, would probably happen in the last podcast, uh, has been yanked down. Um, Nintendo issued a you know a removal of the DCMA notice, I guess that's what it is. Um, so that's no big surprise. Um, fortunately, it's already out there in the wild, so most people that want to get it can get it. So it's not like it's a, uh, you know, not like it's hard to find. Mm. So that's that. Also, there was um, a new game that was just put out by Sarah Jane Avery. I know the name. I can't I can't think of who it is. But um, she just released a game called Neutron, which is your your general, you know, shmup. Shoot em up. Kind of, you know, Space Invaders dealy.
0: It's funny, Schmup wasn't a thing 20
1: years ago. No, it ago. wasn't. No, now there was SNES.
0: Yeah, uh, so I still know it as Shooterwap.
1: up Yeah, me too.
0: And then, like, Horizontal SMAP. Uh <laughs> Pardon me? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Vertical Shmup. Yeah. Schmubbbly Wap. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm.
1: Um, yeah. Vintage Computer Festival East was a couple days ago. I went to it. I didn't get any footage because I didn't have that much time. I did bump into some of our good friends, Thomas Cherry Holmes and uh, the Guru Meditation, and there were other people there. I didn't see Bill Hurd. I know he was there, right? I did not see him out and about. Um,
0: maybe he you didn't. Yeah.
1: Maybe I was just in. Yeah, he wasn't in the room where I only made it to he couldn't be
0: hurt <laughs> yes yes um
1: and some of my old group mates from back in the rpg days back in the 90s ran into some of them which was pretty awesome um yeah so that was that um cool uh guru meditation had a cool j minor um exhibit for their uh with their amigas and they had a thing where you could uh take a picture with like they had this big wall thing with a cutout for your head where you could kind of take a picture with him
0: yeah i saw that yeah interesting
1: so that was that was cool that was cool
0: lucky person to have met jay minor um before he died
1: Mm. Mm. he didn't
0: he didn't he didn't die um well he he died pretty soon after the amiga was released
1: yeah Yeah. right I, i think so jay minor uh uh I don't, I, I'm not sure.
0: 94
1: something I remember. Well, that's not very soon after the Amiga was released. Because that was that's like 10 uh, years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, June 20th, 94. Yes,
0: yeah.
1: yeah, so that was after. Yeah, that was 10 years after the Amiga. Because the Amiga was released in 85.
0: S- still, 62 wasn't an age.
1: No, even in so 94. Yeah, that was pretty young. Yeah. But, and there was a guy there in the vendors area, he was selling, um, well, he wasn't selling, that was a stupid thing, he had these things, he had these things that were, it was a SID, but it was like, um, for getting rid of the noise on the SID, I guess, it wasn't like a dual SID thing, but he had the whole racks of them, and when you said something to him, like, oh, how much, he's like, I'm not selling them why are you in the vendor's area, and why do you have a stack of them? Like, what, what's, what's the point of that? He's just showing people how they work. Like, then why did you bring 700 of them? <laughs> hmm. Weird. Um.
0: Just looking, J-Minor died because of kidney problems.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that'll do it to you. That'll get you. Ah. Uh. Hmm.
0: And he still, he still died because of it. Mm-hmm. Just two months after Commodore declare, declared bankruptcy. Yeah.
1: Well, I don't think he was involved in it anymore at that point anyway. Yeah.
0: The Indiegogo <laughs> about the keycaps, that famous one. Oh,
1: Jesus Lord. Yeah. There,
0: there was an update on that one. Oh, really? Yeah. So... He, he he put, a, he put um, a photo up where he actually showed the car full of keycaps ready, made, and being sh- um, prepared for shipping. Hmm. So that means the first batch will be shipped out soon, or better to be said, should arrive soon. Let's see when that update was. Um, Mm. That update was on April 8th. And the project is still live, but there were no updates because I still have a 100% fixed timetable. The plan was to print all caps December and January, but during the process, we found a problem. It seems that my old injection machine has a very small oil leak. This caused an oil film on the caps and a crappy print afterwards. Not on all, so we tried first to sort out the oily caps and we tried to wash them. Nothing worked, so we decided to reproduce the complete first batch new. Happily, we reworked the molds, so did not need 18 months as the last time I did it at home. At the moment, 85% of the first patch is done. Right at the moment, I transport this patch to the printing company. I hope at the end of May, the finished, at first, the production of the transparent caps as as we will start printing shortly after that. So I can start shipping in May, June with the first sets. It will be the transparent ones. I also got a transparent one ordered. So that means I'm among those, hopefully. Okay, then. I know I've told you this thousand times before, but I cannot do more than try hard to finish the project. I'm still working on it. Yes, I'm still have. investigating a lot of private money. Best, Michael. Mm, okay. P.S. My car suffered with caps for transportation f- from the production company. There you can see around 40,000 caps and boxes. That is around third of the first batch. I know a bigger car would have made more sense, but this one is in service. Okay. And there are pictures. All right. And of course, in the comments, people will still say it's a fake and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Oh yeah. And maybe yeah, the photos are photoshopped. <laughs> Photoshop keycaps. Um yeah. So we'll see. I st- I still I still have this new keyboard in the cellar just waiting for the keycaps. Yeah. Um because I don't want to b- butcher a working keyboard for old keycaps to put on a new keyboard. Yeah. So I hope they will be here with me in
1: June. Uh, we will see. There's a uh, a new uh, emulator for the iPad, a new C64 emulator for the iPad. Nice. Yeah, no, which is kind of surprising because it's the iPad. You know, it's uh, old emulators through the Apple Store, the Apple App Store, have been shut down because they are they're I guess because of how they are. This is um, open source emulator for the 64 based on Vice. Nice. Um.
0: But I guess it's not for the original iOS, because Apple wouldn't support that. You I probably don't... have to jailbreak the tablet, the iPad.
1: I don't know. I don't Nah,
0: know. nah. Apple shut down the original C64 I know. later.
1: I know they did, but that was because of the ability for it to run software that you've added on. I think if it's done properly... I don't know. I'm looking at it right now. Um, can you get it from the store? I'm, I'm checking. It doesn't look like it. I'll still I'll link. We'll link to it so people can see yeah. what what it is. I don't. There's no link to the the App Store, so it looks like maybe it's something you have to put on a jailbreak system. I, I couldn't tell you. It doesn't really it doesn't really say. It. There's a place to download the source. There's a place to download an IPA, um, and then there's a GitHub site, but there's no but I don't see a link to actually downloading the app. Maybe you'd have to build it yourself. Maybe there's something like that where it's got to, you know, you have to kind of put it together. I don't know, but there is a, uh, but it exists. And so that's kind of cool.
0: Hmm. Interesting.
1: Yeah. There's also, um, you know, news, uh, work continues on this C256 Phoenix or Phoenix, however you, Say I know it's supposed to be Phoenix, but they're not spelling it the way Phoenix is spelled. Um, There's a a May newsletter that's been out. Uh, They're looking for content creators for it. They're fabricating a number of boards, uh, planning to anyway. Um, So it's continuing. It's it's interesting to see what this is going to do. The last time that we talked about it, I was kind of trying to describe what it is. And it's difficult to do that because you gotta kind of have to see it to understand what 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 the thing is trying to be. but so that's seems like it's going along and picking up some steam. Um, I'm not and I'm still not sure who the person behind it is. Um, I'm not sure if it's like a Stefan or a Stephanie. Hmm. The pages that I see where people write it, they they I I can't guarantee they're not misspelling the name, but um yeah so it's it's a thing that exists um, that everyone should check out. I don't know, and it's got a price tag on it, man. Like just the bare board is is three hundred dollars. That's that ain't cheap, you know, for a machine that is essentially brand new, unsupported, eight bit nonsense that that, you know there's not gonna be a a built-in library of software. It's not C sixty four compatible. It's not it's not compatible with anything except itself. So
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah so I don't know. I don't know. Check it out. Links all around pictures things you know
0: know that from Commodore who Hmm. did that. Didn't work out so well.
1: It didn't it didn't work out so well because every time they tried to do something because back then the idea of backwards compatibility wasn't a thing. It was that wasn't something you worried about. You know, you made a new computer system, and it was its own thing, and it didn't necessarily have to rely on what came before it. And nowadays, people are less inclined to. And and as we saw then, like like there were no developers. Like nobody came on to do stuff for like the Plus Four or the C16. They had a couple of a couple of software things, but nowhere near the, the 64. And then when the 128 came out and was backwards compatible, most people used it just in a 64 mode. And so still no 128 software came out because the publishing houses said, we can sell twice as many if we just make it C64. Well, there are a few exceptions, like we um, uh,
0: like um, what was it again? V8?
1: Yeah, the last v yeah. Yeah, the last well,
0: V8, yeah, well, There but, was but, a 128 version.
1: Yes, there, there's a couple things. There's a version of Elite that uses it. Uh, this new Mario Brothers uses the 2MHz and the borders. Um, Ultima 3, I think, had music for the with the 128. Um, but the, the vast majority of the And game there's play. the Ryzen
0: demo for the 128.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Ryzen from...
1: A villain or something yeah R- risen from oblivion yeah. yeah now that was that was one that took full advantage that used the vdc it used the vic and all this other a lot of the games that did come out for it um were 64 versions that were enhanced a little bit so like ultimate with music but they weren't like 128 only they didn't make use of really the features of the 128 like the 80 column chip or or the faster speed or you, you know it's like it, it added a little bit we had a little bit more memories to, to play with, or well, there was VisaWrite 128. That wasn't a game. I know. No, that that's that's where the 128 shined was in word processing. I used to use I used to use the 128 to write exclusively with. I used Z 128. It was fantastic. Or Paperclip 128 was was amazing as well. They were good word processing packages or text editing, actually, in the case of Zed, but. But, I mean, that, no, it's not using any of the graphical abilities. The, one, the VDC could do some graphical stuff. You know, Logios uses it, or, or Risen from Oblivion, the demo. You could do things with it. It's just nobody did. So that's this thing. To all publishers, make a
0: new 128 Oh Yeah, yeah. The first yeah. ever. Forget about the Super CPU and Metal Dust. Yeah,
1: I see. I, I can see that happening. Not. You don't think so? No, no, no one's gonna put the put together. Well, I, you know, actually, the 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 girl from the nibbles and bites thing, the um, the YouTube channel where they're working on it, she is working on a game in 128 mode. Yeah, so nice. so she's using the 128s monitor and she's using sprites and all that stuff. So that's. And it's interesting because I think she's taking it from the perspective of someone that doesn't know the system and learning it and learning to code on it. But she's going from the 128 side rather than the 64 side, which is kind of a unique thing. Because most people knew the 64 and they came to get the 128 and just kept with the 64 side. And she is kind of bypassing the 64 side in order to play on the 128, which yeah. is which is a unique way to look at it because... But like I said again, again, most people had that background with the sixty-four.
0: Well, instead of double tracking, you make triple tracking.
1: <laughs> well, quadruple dragon.
0: <laughs> you know, yeah. Or Gianna's sisters and her friends. Jimmy, Bimmy, and Wimmy. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Bimmy. <laughs> Bimmy, yeah, Bimmy. Who does, Bimmy, who does, remember Bimmy?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. Mm. Oh, oh So you got anything else? <clears throat> no. Neither do I. So I'm gonna go. We're, I'm gonna go sit over there. I'm gonna change my shirt and grow my hair a little bit. I think. Today, I'm talking to the Hoosen's family, actually,
0: Andrew and Rob Welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, thanks for coming on. Um, So you are actually known, especially Andrew, for originally creating uh, Hoosen Games. I did, yes. That was one of the biggest publishers in UK for computer games, uh, especially for the Spectrum and the Commodore 64. Well, that's right. Well,
2: it's a few years ago now. (laughs)
0: How did that actually start? Did you get a laugh into computers and thought you can make it into a business where people were otherwise afraid to tap into? I mean, the 70s and 80s were more like people were afraid of computers and video games were a waste of time considered for the normal layman, I guess. Uh, Well,
2: yes, I suppose they were. Yes, they were very novel at the time. Uh, I got into it because, um, uh, really, I worked with some computers at work. I, I worked in a research, research laboratory at the British Museum in London, uh, and um, we had a, a computer there, a big one. I mean, they were all big in those days, of course, uh, but it was very novel. And because we were the research laboratory, we, we were given the computer to look after. Uh, and so uh, I, worked, uh, uh, I worked on, the, uh, on programming that. For the work I was doing on radio dating, as it happens, but that's uh, that's another story, uh, and so that's how I, I got into computers. But really, the the reason why I I really took the home computer seriously, because not everybody did when they uh, when they first arrived. Obviously, uh, particularly the um, uh, the early ones, the early Sinclair machines, the ZX80, and the ZX81. Uh, the reason I took them seriously was because the person I was working for at the time, my boss at the time, which was after I left the museum, uh, my boss, he was an engineer and he'd seen a teletext television. Uh, and I don't know if you had them in Germany, but over here we had um, uh, uh, a teletext system where uh, some data was broadcast uh, in the f- effectively in the fly- flyback time, in the dead time. Uh, in the te- television signal every uh, during the as the f- frame was written to the screen there's some dead time when the electron beam flies back to the beginning of the line uh, and they broadcast some data in there uh, and that data was literally um, uh, 80 characters um, across uh, and you could get I mean people used to sell holidays would you believe uh, on um, uh, you know phone this number for a holiday in Malaga or something like that. Uh, and um, um, uh, I was out one evening with my boss, uh, and uh, he saw this teletext television, um, and he was just saying, "Look, I've got to have one of these." And I was I was rubbishing it, saying, "Look, well, come on, this is crude. <laughs> what? This is nothing compared with uh, uh, this is silly." And he said, "No, no, this is in your home. You don't understand. I want one." Um, uh, and of course. Um, that was maybe um, six or nine months, six months probably before the ZX Spectrum, not the ZX Spectrum, the ZX80, the original Sinclair ZX80 was announced, where you could spend £100 uh, and with a, a black and white television and a tape recorder, you could have a computer at home. And I looked at, and with 1K memory, for goodness sake, a 1K 8-bit memory. Uh, And I I remember looking at that advert and thinking, yeah, this is nothing. This is just, this is a trivial specification, but it's a hundred quid. It's a hundred pounds. And I just knew there were going to be people like my boss who would go, whoa, I've got to have this. Uh, And so uh, I thought, yeah, this is going to happen. This is going to be big Uh, because there are going to be people like my boss who are just going to, switch onto it like a light bulb. They're just going to love having a computer of their own. Uh, so um, uh, wh- I bought myself a, a ZX80. I set myself up with a, a TV and a desk. And a, a, I went into the third bedroom uh, in our home. because um, uh, And I sat down with my ZX80. And I my ambition was to write a book. Uh, it wasn't anything to do with gaming, really. My ambition was to uh, take this computer what can I do with it? It obviously can't do anything real, any real computing work. Uh, you know, th- th- there's very few applications that this is going to be worthwhile for. But certainly there are going to be loads of people who want to know about how it works. And so I sat down with the machine. Uh, I fairly quickly realized that the book, the, the instruction manual that came with it was, you know, it's um, told you 1% uh, about the machine. Probably there was loads more. Uh, and so I just sat down and worked out how, how some of the software worked, worked out how um, uh, the BASIC was operating. And I made notes, just like, just like being a university student, sitting there, wonder what this does, do, 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 do. oh, does that write it down, do, 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 do. oh, write it down. Um, and uh, before I knew where, we, where I was, I'd really got enough material to, um, to put together a small book. Uh, and that's what I did. And I wrote a few games, very simple games. I mean, trivially simple. Hangman. Um, uh, lunar Lander was about as advanced as I got because it was only ten years after the um, after the, the the lunar landings. Uh, and this, actually, landing landing the, the the spaceship on the moon is actually you know with the technology they had is quite I mean, you know they were really on the edge there, and you could see that when you simulated that in the in the ZX eighty. So I, I I wrote the book. Uh, and uh, I um, this was the relatively early days of the photocopier I went to um, a, a local print shop and uh, got it photocopied made up into a book and sold it by mail order and so that's how I got started um, I, I, and um, and of course it's wonderful wonderful it, the uh, you put these little adverts in in, a, in the thing, a magazine called practical uh computing and personal computer world both of which gone long gone um in the uk and i put these adverts in in their little ones small ads and people started sending me money uh, to buy the book uh you know and, it, and that's just fan. you can't imagine what uh, what that feels like um well i suppose you can these days the, the equivalent is you get paid over the internet but when but in those days walking down the stairs in the morning uh and you know there's two or three uh, uh, letters on the doorstep uh, and you know, they're addressed to me from people I don't know uh, addressed to me and inside there's a cheque or a postal order um, uh, you know for an amount of money you think wow people are sending me money which is fabulous um, uh, and uh, it, all, it all built from there uh, so um, I wrote the book about uh, about the ZX80 I wrote, uh, did the similar one about the ZX81 when that came out uh, because, uh, because I'd written the book I then got a phone call from, this was a wonderful moment, um, from um, magazine publishers in London who said, hello, you know, uh, did you write this book, Kins and Tips for the ZX81? Yes, that was me. Uh, okay, will you write a magazine column for, uh, for us every month about, this is about the Z, we're launching this magazine called um User. Uh, and um, yeah, sure, you know, obviously I agreed to that. Uh, basically a, a column every month explaining how some of the system variable works or just basically answering readers' questions, answering readers' technical questions um, And the, the, the magic I live in Oxfordshire, which is about 50 60 miles say 100 kilometers out of London. Uh, and um, uh, the magic the, this magazine that publishers was in uh, they were in London they were based in London. they said we'll send a photographer, to take a photo, some photographs of you for the launch issue of the magazine. I was blown away by this. You know, the idea of, of, you know, people sending a photographer from London out to where I live to take a photograph of me holding my book, which they would then, you know, which would then be used to launch the, the column in the first issue of the magazine. And, you know, I was like, wow, you know, this is, this is magic. What's going on? What's going on? Uh, and sure enough, the guy turned up, to perfect, took his photograph, uh, and um, uh, the, I, I wrote the, the first column and, and um, it went from there. And then I started getting letters from readers and, uh, and that kind of thing. And I wrote that column for 10 years, um, in the, from the beginning of the mag- magazine uh, to the end, once a month. It's quite hard work, I have to tell you. It's not easy knocking out 2,000 words, uh, you know, on demand. Uh, so. Um, but I got better better and better at it. Uh, but, of course, because I was then, I'd written a book, I was, you know, I had the column in a, in a magazine. The magazine had a circulation of, I should think, 100,000, maybe maybe more 200,000. This is in the UK, of course. Um, so it had a significant circulation uh, amongst the target audience. And before I knew where I was, um, people were sending cassettes in to me of work that they'd done on the. Uh, uh on the machine and and it went from there um you know most as you can imagine most of the cassettes that came in most of the offerings were uh, yeah i mean you know, they're just what can you expect they're not going to be great are they but one or two of them um were just extraordinary uh mike Mayall, who wrote wrote night flight and went on to do heathrow air traffic control and southern bell and um games like that i mean that's exactly how he came in uh he lived uh, you know not so very far away from me see my name in the magazine sent this thing in uh, uh sent in uh, a version it, on the zx81 it was called pilot uh so we actually published a a, a flight simulator called pilot on the zx81 right? and that was that was a great game for the zx81 um, and then he did night flight for the for the um, uh, ZX Spectrum when it came out. So it all I mean it started off because uh, because I could see that there were people going to be hooked on buying these computers and they were going to be much more popular than I think. Uh, every and they were uh, in the UK and probably in Germany as well. But they were they were absolutely the latest thing, the must have item um it was it, just the thought of having a, a computer of your own a personal computer uh was was just almost mind-blowing um and uh it took a it took a, um you know a year or two for the for the retailers to really understand what was going on but uh only about a couple of years in a couple of years they were absolutely everywhere and people you know everyone was buying a computer, and I just saw uh, I just saw it coming, and I wanted to, I wanted to earn some money. And that was my ambition. I wanted to earn some money. I wanted to have a computer of my own. I wanted to write a book, and that that was it.
0: So actually, it didn't matter for you if it was computer games or something else you made money with. No,
2: I, I mean I, to be honest, I've always been interested in the technology. It's the technology that switches me on. I mean, I'm still the same uh, today. It, you know, I mean, the stuff we have today is just fabulous, isn't it? You know, it, is. Fabulous. it is not it absolutely fabulous. It's just <laughs> it, it, it's, like, it's like a gift. The, the you know your mobile phone in your pocket is like a gift from heaven. Uh, yeah. the, the things the things you can do with it. So I've always uh, you know it's the technology that turns you on. Uh, the and understanding how it works and getting a feel for it and and, and getting a, getting involved with it. I mean, I'm, you know I'm just a bit of a boring nerd. <laughs> and, and and the truth is, it's not the games that games per se that turns me out. and Robert's much more of a games player than I am. I mean, I don't I don't play them very much at all. Um, you you know, I, I think yeah, okay, it's a game, right? Got that? Um, you, you know um, uh, the uh, and I'm interested in in why you're interested in the game. What is it about the game that works for you? I mean, that that I find interesting. What is it? And it varies for people. I mean, some of the games I look at that are very popular, and I think, I really can't understand what people see in this. You know, (laughs) know, but even that intrigues me. Why is it I can't, why is it doesn't, it doesn't intrigue, you know, I can't see what people like in it, but clearly they do, So I'm wrong. What (laughs) is it that, you know, that's interesting, isn't it? That's that's true. That's interesting. Why do you like that game? Well, it's really got this and that and this and that. Well,
0: really? Uh Oh, uh, okay, fine, good. So actually, that was about one of my questions. I actually don't know how old Rob is, but Rob, were you a part of a um, don't know beta tester for games back in the days, or weren't you born at this uh, period I was, born,
3: yet? I was born in 1981, so uh, I wasn't quite old enough to be uh, around in the early days. In fact, I think uh, I was probably not yet born when Dad was starting to write his book. Um, I think... As, we got old, as I got older, um, I had a little bit of contact with uh, th- things. I certainly remember going to the Houston warehouse and climbing uh, amongst the cassettes and picking out things to take home with my sister. Uh, I remember when we were older and it was 21st century entertainment, I had a, uh, you know, I had a summer job after I'd done my GCSEs, uh, you know, after I'd done high school. Uh, opening the mail and making cups of coffee for people and they let me write reports on some of the games you know to make me feel like I was doing something and then um, I think before I went to university I did some bug testing for Giant Killers the football management simulation game you're involved in uh, dad uh, but that was about it I did I wasn't really no it wasn't really until after quite a while after I'd left university that I properly got into the games industry
0: Interestingly, um, you you published a book called um, "Hints uh, Hints and Tips for Video Game Pioneers," I think it's called. Yeah. And actually, in this book, you write that um, um, that Rob's grandfather, so your f- uh, father Andrew, actually was involved in the company too for mastering and dubbing uh, cassette games. That's right. The, right. the whole family is involved into this video game business. Yeah, everybody got drawn in. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, what happened
2: there was uh, my father was, um, he was an industrial chemist. He worked on, um, uh, he, he was, he, uh, in the old days, before we had um, uh, the kind of screens we've got now, we had cathode ray tubes, uh, you know, the big, uh, the big square, big cubicle thing, um, like great big bottles.
0: Sure, I have a CRT TV here too. Uh, a CRT, that's right. Uh, and uh,
2: my, uh, my father, he, Robert's grandfather, uh, he was a chemist and his expertise was in those fluorescing chemicals which are deposited in the TV tubes to, that fluoresce when the electron beam strikes them. So he worked, uh, he, um, he was chief chemist at a factory that manu- uh, manufactured those things. And, he, uh, and his expertise was I mean, it, those fluorescent chemicals are deposit- deposited from water, as you can imagine. Uh, so the water's got to be very pure. and You've got to get exactly the right mixture. And you've got to be careful about the, uh, the glass. The gloss- glass has got to be uh, very smooth uh, and what have you um so that was his expertise but anyway that came to an end you know in uh, in the uk that was fading a bit in the 1960s this long before these lcds came out but the um the industry was consolidating or what have you so um when he was coming towards the end of his working life um the um you know he was he wasn't exactly at a loose end he was working for uh, for another electronics company but i just said to him you know um there's an opportunity here we can set up cassette duplication plants need somebody to run it we've got the, the we've got the output requirement um this isn't all that i'd already investigated how you know how it actually works because uh, basically cassette duplication uh, it, it, it will still be the same if people are making sets uh what you have is um a huge uh like how far across are we talking about 30 70 meter diameter probably more 30, to 40, centimeter diameter reels of cassette tape. Uh, and um, uh, the kind of cassettes we were making, uh, you could get 500 copies of each game on one of those reels, probably several hundred copies,
0: amazing. Uh,
2: and so they were duplicated by the big specialized reel to reel tape recorders. Um, and then this wonderful uh, heath robinson we will call it in the uk contraption for winding that uh, each copy into a cassette shell and taping it up uh, um and uh, automatically s- attaching the cape onto a, f- a feeder tape in the cassette shell winding it in zzz, then cutting it taping it again uh, and spitting out the uh, cassette when it was made uh and and the um uh, so we bought the equipment for that. My father came along uh, and um, you know got it all up and running. And they got the manufacturer, because he was he was used to a manufacturing environment. Um, uh, got it all up and running, and uh, uh, and we went into our own, we had our own cassette duplication plant, and we ran that for well, five or six years, I should think, until he until he finally retired when cassettes were beginning to be replaced by floppy discs. So, very yeah.
0: they're actually, I I think everywhere in all books and all history, and if I ask people, they all tell me that British people love cassettes, even when everybody else around in Europe, and especially in the USA, already jumped over to floppy disks. Yeah, I don't really know why. I suppose it's
2: it probably a price differential, uh, fundamentally, but, you know, the cassettes uh, were, were cheaper, and probably the cassette readers were cheaper as well uh so um yeah i don't know why uh, and you're right uh, particularly in the usa the market was all uh, floppy disks long before it was all floppy disks but in, the u.s market was different anyway because they had a lot of cartridges didn't they with atari so they weren't big i mean what happened in the uk is the spectrum established the market uh and that uh, had uh, that was cassette driven uh and that and so that that was the first machine and the Commodore 50, 64 coming in from the States had its own disk drive, but that was more expensive. But it was piggybacking onto a market which had all, already been established by the, uh, had been defined by the, um, uh, the Spectrum. Because the Spectrum for a short period was absolutely the dominant machine because it was the cheapest. At least in cheapest UK. Market one. There were, I mean, I don't know if you remember, there were other machines. I don't know how many got to Germany, but the, the, the Dragon and the Jupiter Ace uh, and the Oris. I mean, mm-hmm. we bought all of them uh, to see what see what they were uh, looking like. Um, the, the, uh, how many of those did you have in Germany? How many of those machines do you have there? Did you have any special German ones?
0: Well, I have to admit, I think the ZX Spectrum really wasn't a big thing here in Germany. No, sure. I remember my friends and, and my grandfather had a Commodore 64 and then people switched to the Amiga. But yeah. the Dragon, the I think, was more a thing that was common in Spain, for example. Yeah. Because um, earlier I was making an interview with, um, with Pablo Porto. Who, who kickstarted the video game industry in in Spain when he made Bugaboo the flea for Quicksilver in '83, oh. and um, so I guess that that this machine even made it more I think in Spain and Italy and such countries. Um, but, but interestingly, that you mentioned that there were different um, media in different countries that led to funny, funny releases like, like games like Pitstop or Champ Man or, or games like Last Ninja Remix that you could get on card, disc, and uh, that data set, as you would say. And nowadays, some games you rarely can find on, on disc anymore. If you look on eBay, you can pay 500 euros or 700 pounds for a single copy, so you are getting poor. But but if you if you are looking for the tape version, five bucks, no problem. You know, really? <laughs> yeah. So the price difference is really intense um, when it comes to the same game, just a different media yeah. that it's coming coming onto, and and there you have games like Jumpman that is. That is available on card, tape, and disc for different markets, and and some are NTSC PAL. And that's actually a good question. Did were you aware of the um, problems of the machines when it comes to NTSC and PAL problems?
2: Absolutely, yeah, I'm doing, yeah? yes, definitely. They, um, I mean, we moved on to producing Commodore 64 games. Uh, with things like Gribbley's Day Out was our first one for the um, for the okay. uh, for the C64. Um, and, uh, yes, the power, the power system, 60 frame, uh, 50 frames a second, it's, you've just got a little bit more time than you have on the, um, on the NTSC. So uh, getting, uh, getting a game converted for NTSC was not necessarily the easiest thing in the world um, be, uh, because um, what was happening, certainly with all our games, all our games, because because I was uh, partly because of my technical interest in them, uh, I suppose, um, because you can't help being biased about what you like, being what you're you're going to be likely to be, be producing. Um, our t- our games tend to be the ones that push the machines hard, and as soon as you're in that situation, then converting from PAL to NTSC uh, is a problem. We're all, we're also over. I don't know whether you're like whether you feel like this. But at that time, we always used to look at the American system and the the NTSC system. uh, uh, The colors in NTSC are not as good on television. And the reason they're not as good uh, is because um, it comes from uh, the, um, uh, the, the European system of PAL was developed after NTSC. So NTSC came in first. And the PAL standard was developed having people having looked at ntsc and one of the problems with it is that uh, as the television uh, signal changes in frequency which is because it wanders slightly then you get a wandering in the, co- the colors wander down the spectrum up and down the spectrum and so you get this sort of uh, fuzzy effect um whereas the power power system it stands for phase alternate lines and what they do is as each line is written to the screen they change the phase of the, so they're, they're interpreting it, the are interpreting the colour back to front, if you like, compared with the previous line. So that if you get a colour which is get, tending towards the red on this line, it will tend towards the green on the following line. Am I making sense? So that then the two, and they're, they're written close together on the screen. So the average effect is you get a be- better stability in the colour in the fat power system. I bet you didn't expect to learn that uh, the, <laughs> the, uh, I don't. But that's I what don't PAL know stands the... for. Phase Alternate Line. That's where the. That's where. The, and it, it's because people looked at the the American system, the NTSC system, and said, "Oh, don't like the way the colour wobbles a bit. What can we do about that?" And so NTSC the never,
1: was never
0: the same colour.
2: Yeah. Never the same colour twice. NTSC. <laughs> that's the. That's the. the yeah, I wasn't going to say that, but you're right. That's exactly it. <laughs> yes never the
0: same color. Interestingly, one of the uh, most known game in the world is actually Summer Games. And once yeah. I was doing an interview with Chris Crick, who was a sound manager of um, of Epics yeah. and earlier on Lucasfilm Games, and I asked him. You, we had games like Maniac Mansion, Zack McCracken, Summer Games, and everybody in Europe remembers the music playing 21 persons too slow. Why didn't you fix that? And he told me early in the, se- uh, early in the 80s, they didn't know. They simply didn't know about the, pro- about the difference, and they just sent it over to somebody in Europe, and he said, okay, it works fine, because he didn't know what it was supposed to look like. Yeah. Uh, uh, later on in Zach McCracken, they just changed the scrolling so it would scroll smoother, but they never bothered to fix the music. So um, I'm not that is I'm not, actually, I'm not remotely surprised. I hadn't heard that
2: story before, but I'm not remotely surprised. Uh, I, I mean, they, they, the transformation in technology is vast now, isn't it? I mean, it's so easy to communicate, but you, but back then, Back then, all this was sorted out by phone calls, by by contracts sent by fax. Fax was wonderfully exciting when it arrived. You know, look, I can send this contract on a fax. I used to, I used to. Uh, this is um, a silly story, but when we when we had sort of uh, you know young people helping in the office, we had our fax machine sat in the front window, uh, and I said, "Go and send this fax for me." Uh, you know, uh, it's going to California, and they put the, And If you look out the window and down the road, you'll see it coming out the other end. You know, this, <laughs> it's a silly story. But for us, it was magic. The facts, it was magic. That the, you could, that instead of saying this silly contract by letter, you know, and ring up to see if it had arrived uh, correctly, you could just stick it in the machine, it would go. <laughs> so so when you say, yeah, they never knew that the, the, the sound was wrong, I'm not remotely surprised. Uh, these days, it'd be easy. You play it in your your studio and hear it over here. Wow, oh, sounds different over here. Listen to this. But it would happen in an instant, wouldn't it?
3: Yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't happen in the first place because standards are so global these days that. Uh... But that's a, it? A, but yes. That, Is that's it exactly I mean, the
0: same? I mean, I mean, actually, actually, I I was tinkering today and in the last four weeks with an El- Elgato Elgato uh, streaming capture card, and the N T C issue is still around I mean if you look at the in if you look at the incoming signal it's still saying anti C or power 60 or 50 Hertz um, just a different resolution so the problem is still there um, in in a way but uh, I guess people really don't notice it so much because here in Europe um, um, the all TVs can do both standards yeah. But if you, if you, for example, look at uh, machines like the C64 Mini uh, and you look at YouTube for reviewers, a lot of reviewers in America couldn't get a picture out of it because the Paul version was first sent as a sample and the American TVs nowadays still can't do Paul signals sometimes. Really? Yeah. So, astro- wow. so <laughs> in, some, in some ways, the American market can be very backward. Yeah, uh,
2: You know, it can be quite quite insulated and, and just very difficult. Yeah, well, that's interesting. Do, the, um, another story from back in those days, this is um, when they first set up, when it first was a, a satellite linking Europe and the States, um, uh, the, and we got the first pictures uh, sent, sent over. This was all very exciting. It was, it was, you know, headline news on the television and all the rest of it. But how they used to convert the pictures from NTSC to, to PAL was actually, they set up a television showing an NTSC pa- picture and they, they point a PAL camera at it to film. <laughs> and I'm not joking. That's how they did no, had no electronic translation. They used to say, oh right, we're going to do this. Here we are, boom, boom. And of course, you can imagine that, that, that the quality. Uh, you know, it's just remarkable, isn't it? What? Ah, you did what? Well, it was the easiest way to do it, so we did it. That's how they did it, and that was broadcast. TV was, TV was done like that. Extraordinary. Uh,
0: I I wonder, um, Rob, um, your path went a bit different. You are not a publisher um, primarily, but I think you're you are primarily a developer because the way I got to know you was uh, two years ago. You were having a booth. I think it's called Hui Games, or if I'm if I'm Yep. that wrong i'm sorry nope. um and you sh- you showed a hyper sentinel
3: yeah that's right yeah this was at gamescom uh when was that 2017 yeah yeah it was at gamescom 2017 yeah so hyper sentinel uh i mean it's 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 obviously got inspiration from uh Uridium's a big influence and defender and games like that uh, yeah, we set up um, Huey Games in 2016. Um, I've come from a development background, uh, working for, for for bigger companies like TT Games on the on the Lego titles and various other companies. Um, and Hypixel was our first release, and the idea was, you know, get get a game out, <laughs> get a game out the door. Um, did did we do that? Was it completely smooth and perfect? No, of course not. We made lots of mistakes. Uh, but, um, that's, that's the, y- y- you can't not make mistakes, can you? In fact, mistakes are necessary, uh, on your way to, 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 to building something. So, um, we've got Hypersentinel out, um, we've done some other, um, bits and bobs. Uh, we've ported other people's games. We've ported a game to the Nintendo switch called the mystery of woolly mountain, which is out now, and we're working on some new titles. Is it
0: out now because the homepage still says it's coming out soon.
3: Oh does it. Well, who, who need who, what somebody needs to update that website. That's probably me. <laughs> I thought I had but maybe, you know, okay. maybe I got that. Maybe I missed it a, a bit somewhere. Yes, it's out now on Nintendo Switch. Um and that's from James Lightfoot so he's he, he's the developer but um yeah, we we we're, we're primarily developers. We're working on some other games. We've also got a Kickstarter running at the moment. Um, you, you may remember we had the USB cassette version of Hyper Sentinel.
0: Yes, of course. And that
3: USB cassette was very popular. Um, and so we're doing uh, a, a new series of collector's USB cassettes for Neo Retro games, starting with Droid Assault. And Droid Assault is from Puppy Games. And it's a fantastic uh, game that has its inspiration in uh, particularly Paradroid um but puts a a different spin on things it's much more fast-paced and action-packed and you can collect an army of droids to take around with you and they've all got different weapons so that was funded in the first 48 hours on kickstarter
1: and we've got 17 days
3: left and we're hitting stretch goals so um yeah check out droid
0: assault on kickstarter um and and we're gonna do a series of them and I saw it the first project, according to Kickstarter, where father and son are united together, together again, because it says Andrew and Rob Husen, right?
3: That's right. Well, we did a Kickstarter for the book, Hints and Tips for Video Game Pioneers. That was the original Kickstarter. Um, and then we did Hyper Sentinel. And now we're doing Droid Assault. So, um, yes, it is Andrew and Rob Husen is the name of the Kickstarter account. You're correct.
0: Wow. So, so how does that feel, Andrew, to have a son that is continuing what you started? <laughs> Mind blowing, really weird. I told I told him forever when he was growing up, don't get into the video games business.
2: It's, you know, it's seriously, why? Uh, it's too complicated and difficult. <laughs> uh, the um, the the uh, the uh, uh the but, you know. Uh, it's impossible to stop people doing what they want to do, isn't it? They, they, <laughs> no, uh, the reason I told him that obviously is because I mean I, I worked pretty hard when I was do, doing it, so uh, you think well, you don't have to you don't have to work as hard as this to make a living. Um, I mean, it was great fun, uh, but there were no there were undoubtedly times when it's stressful. <laughs> I mean, anyone, anyone, anyone who's ever uh, put a title to bed. Uh, you know, just those last few weeks when you're when you're nailing all the problems. You know, you end. You have, I mean, look at me—grey hair, baldy head. That's that's <laughs> earned. I've earned all that. Uh, the, uh, that that's from. Um, uh, I mean, I've got some stories uh, about that sort of thing. I mean, uridium is one. Uh, I stayed up all night the night we shipped uh, uridium. Uh, the uh, not particularly because we, I had to. But you know, you just get so hyped about yeah. uh, about what you're doing
0: Yeah.
3: That
2: you, that, you know nothing will your brain's going whoa, 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 like that. You just can't stop it. So um, uh, yeah, uh, how does it feel? Yeah, it's good fun. I'm, I'm enjoying. Um, I'm enjoying what Rob's up to. Uh, I'm a, sometimes I've been I'm bemused by um, the interest there is. In what we were doing in the old days and, and the history of it. Because when we were doing it, were we, were, were, we, were we thinking this is historic? I suppose. I suppose in some sense we knew what we were doing was groundbreaking, definitely. Uh, we were doing things that nobody had ever done before. Uh, but whether I'm not sure I ever considered it to be historic in the sense of, People later being interested in it as history, uh, you know, they, they, somehow it didn't feel as uh, as important as all that. It was just getting on with things. But I suppose, I suppose that's what history is, isn't it? Uh, people getting th- on with their lives.
0: I think I've read somewhere, or Rob told me, I don't know, that he kind of were insisting that you write this book. <laughs> and I'm not sure if I get this story right. It's in the, I think <laughs> I think I
3: think uh, I think it's in the foreword of the book, isn't it? You you uh, talking about me twisting your arm to write it. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely.
3: I did bully uh, him a little bit.
2: It, 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 well, what he did was nag and nag and nag and nag and nag until I gave him. <laughs> uh,
3: and, and even then, uh, even then, I found it hard work. It was hard work writing the book. It was um, a, it, that was massive amount of work actually. It took a lot longer than we hoped, and uh, yeah, it was a real slog. Yeah.
2: The uh, the um, uh, I, I mean, I, it's a funny thing writing a book. Anyway, um, you want to, you want the book to have a narrative all the time, and it it's, uh, uh, and uh, Rob puts an awful lot of uh, you know most of the structure into place. So I I was busy. I've and, and in fact the way we ended up doing it is that he would write. What he thought uh, had happened, and I'd say, no, it wasn't like that. No, it was like this. It was like that. Uh, and so it actually that actually worked quite well in the end. Uh, the, him writing it and me rewriting it. I mean, the the um, <laughs> okay. the the the, uh, the the bit I found easiest, of course, was just writing about the very beginning. Uh, you know, it's always the easiest cause, because because um, uh, somehow it is the thing that you think about, well, how on earth did I get into this? What on earth made this start? So, um, yeah, but it was good fun writing the book and it's good fun seeing him doing what he's doing these days. Uh, And, of course, um, there's an interesting dynamic in the video game business now, isn't there, where the machines are so fast and can do so much that um, you... uh, I, if I was if I was still a publisher in the in it I would be all the time thinking how on earth are we going to make this different how are we going to make this special for people in a way you see that in television drama uh, as well they've got have exactly the same problem in television drama that um, uh, how are we going to write a drama which is going to stand out from all the other dramas that have ever ever been written. You know, there's so many of them, and I think that I think that's that's um, uh, a problem. It's true in films as well. How you know, it's not often that a, a film like Star Wars comes out where you think, "Whoa, this is different." Um, you, you know, that's quite difficult these days, isn't it? In fact, you can tell it's difficult because I've just quoted Star Wars, which actually is what, 40 years old, something like that. So, yeah, you know,
0: exactly.
2: So we haven't had a big franchise quite like that. For the last yeah. forty years.
0: So, Rob, is that how you got the idea of making um, an iridium successor, aka, aka um, Hyper Sentinel? No, just, uh,
3: just... Uh, no. I mean, Jonathan Jonathan Port deserves the credit for that, and he. Um, uh, I'm. Uh, I was introduced to him by an acquaintance of well, somebody that. Um, Tim Keenan, who, who used to work with Jonathan and Tim Keenan's an indie developer as well. He's working on a game and I knew him from the scene in Manchester and um, he introduced me to Jonathan and convinced Jonathan to come along to the, our indie drinks meetup that we have in Manchester. And, and he, and he and obviously showed me the game that was clearly inspired by Iridium and, um, and I just sat down and it was, you know, it was an early version of it. It was it needed a lot of work um but we just sat down and said great why don't we work together on this uh because obviously we'd done the kickstarter for the book obviously the community that we'd been building up are going to be interested in it um and we collaborated um from there on so it was jonathan's uh jonathan's idea his game really uh i helped design wise you know to to, him to polish it up uh john ogden um from huey games um did a lot of the technical work in terms of the uh, online uh, infrastructure leaderboards and, and and porting it to the different platforms or the different consoles. And uh, we went from there.
0: Yeah, interestingly, you have chosen the Nintendo Switch as a platform. And, um, you know, as we were seen World, we're also in the retro area. <laughs> I borrowed you a disk drive, I remember. Yes, um, you did. and And... And we also were in the business area making interviews, and people. It was interesting. For example, we had an interview with um, with Konami, and we were asking, "So, is the new Pro Evolution Soccer coming out for the Switch?" And they are like, "No, no, no. We are waiting to and see what Electronic Arts do with FIFA Soccer." And and though all of the other publishers said, nah, the Switch is not big enough. There's no market, and we are not yet sure how we can push the limits." Um, that is something Andrew said early in the interview, that pushing the limits is difficult uh, sometimes. And um, so interestingly, when games came out like Wolfenstein 2 or Doom, that were called originally as impossible, suddenly all publishers were saying, okay, now it's proven the system is capable of doing something, we publish our games on it too. So what was your mindset of going on a platform with um, a retro game successor that all the AAA publishers avoided so far?
3: Well, it's sometimes when the AAA publishers are avoiding a platform, that's a fantastic reason to go for it as a small company. Right. Um, and it's certainly, you know, if it if, if, it, if it's a, an odd oddball platform from someone you've never heard of, that's a different thing. This is a Nintendo platform. Um, and, you know... Nintendo often struggle with um, third party releases, you know, people like EA not coming to their systems, but it doesn't matter because there's got Nintendo games on it. Uh, And we saw quite early on uh, that the indie games that were being released on Nintendo switch were selling exceptionally well. And it was a case of the the, the sooner you can get a game onto Nintendo switch as an indie, the better. And, and um, early in the life cycle of a system is often really good as well because, there's less competition. So, if you can get a game out early um, and none of the big publishers are sucking the, 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 the air out of it for you, then you can do well. And, and um, Nintendo Switch is, is the best selling platform for Hyper Sentinel. So, uh, that obviously worked.
2: Uh, and, and there's another point, which is Hyper Sentinel, Hyper Sentinel is a natural on the Switch. Yes. I mean, it's a fabulous game to play on the Switch. You know, there it is in your hands. Uh, and it, the, 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 this horizontal scroller as soon as as soon as as soon as I thought about it I thought you've got to get hyper Sentinel on this platform uh, and all those arguments that Robert put forward are true but also just the experience is fabulous
3: yeah yeah and and the, the screen on the switch is is fantastic so you're right in handheld mode it looks absolutely spectacular yeah
2: uh, yeah it's not so it's, you, you know, know the others on a big screen still works but handheld yes definitely let's do it would be my reaction
0: i wonder as you made physical releases like the um, usb shaped uh, well i would say cassette shaped usb thumbnail drive as you just hold it up uh, why you didn't do a physical release for hypercentral on the switch uh
3: well um <laughs> so to do a physical release uh On the console platforms um, obviously the cost of doing that uh, getting the the cartridges manufactured and so on is quite significant and so it's something where you need to have the right partnership in place we did do a physical release of hyper sentinel uh, with strictly limited for ps4 um, but the cost versus the risk for Nintendo switch unfortunately is just just not there uh, it's, 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 it's very difficult to do physical, uh, releases unless you've got some, uh, some support behind it. So it just wasn't something we were able to do, unfortunately.
0: Too bad. Too bad. Yes. Maybe in the future.
3: <laughs> you knows? never know. You never uh, know. Uh, each, I mean, each, plat- each game and each, um, each release has a different, you know, a different, uh, destiny, uh, if you like. And for Hyper Sentinel, it was for us. Let's establish ourselves. Let's get a game, a digital game out there that perhaps, uh, I mean, the price point is another thing. Uh, Hype Center launched at nine pounds 99 on the switch. So 10, 10 99 euros or something like that. And to make the cost of goods for a physical product worthwhile, you need to be double that. Uh, otherwise you're just not going to make the money back. So it was a game where the price point suited a digital release, um, not a physical release but for us getting a game out was the you know getting a great game out was the priority
0: hmm. interesting i remember that other publishers who also um pla- not planned to make a physical release limited run games actually approached them and said okay let's do it um for example um Thimbleweed park was one of such games yes. that actually wasn't planned as a physical release um on the switch first until suddenly ron gilbert announced on twitch and since today we are also physical on the switch (laughs) yeah Um, well it's
3: it's the it's the same i mean limited run games and strictly limited and and people like that it's the same kind of model if you release a game digitally and you can prove that it's it's popular uh, as we did with hyper sentinel then you know a, a limited uh, physical run can can make economical sense and we did that w- w- with Strictly Limited for, for PS4 mm-hmm. uh, it's a slightly different economics for the Nintendo Switch and the cartridge manufacturing um, so you know that was uh, how that worked out but yes uh, like you say uh, those guys at Strictly Limited and at Limited Run have obviously found a business model that, that works for for small runs for successful digital games
0: it's, it's cra- crazy because if you look at the internet the games are sold out within thirty seconds.
3: Yes, absolutely. Well, and and you know uh, when we were doing the droid the, the droid assault USB cassette Kickstarter, you know having done the strictly limited uh, thing, uh, PS4 product, I thought well that's a really interesting model and uh, nobody's doing uh, digital games, uh, you know physical releases for digital games on PC and Mac and uh, why is that and and I thought thought well, we've, we've had a lot of popularity for Hyper Sentinel USB cassette. Here's a format where we can actually do uh, a physical edition for PC and Mac games, and both of them at the same time, you know, by the way, on the same... Uh, and, and also, you can have a whole bunch of extra um, special features on, on that USB stick as well. And we got funded on Kickstarter in 48 hours. So it goes to show, the same as, you know, Limited Run and, and those guys when people want to collect physical games and, you know, want to have that on their shelves, they will, you know, make sure that, you know, they will go for it. And um, and and really, uh, uh, that's why they sell out so quickly, because people want
0: those in their collection. Incredible, yeah. I wonder, um, Andrew, as you said, the times were over for using games and um, not publishing anything anymore. Now, there was... Um, Late last year, there was this surprise that um, suddenly there was a C64 being released, um, a C64 version for Farming Simulator, and a game that people never thought would see a release for the Commodore 64. So, could you imagine to have a revival of um, Husen games and making a retro platform game again? Or is that something totally out of your mind? Saying, uh, "Okay, Commodore 64 isn't my thing," or "Atic Spectrum."
2: Hey, I mean, my 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 instinctive reaction, my instinctive reaction is always to look at the future. Uh, that the uh, and I can't help it. Um, uh, the uh, I understand that people are, have a nostalgia about the past, but when it comes to the to th- what you're doing in terms of developing then you're trying to create something new all the time aren't you uh, I mean that's the whole nature of, of development it's this is new um, and so um, I would struggle to, uh, to I mean something like farming simulator I can I can see why that would work on the c64 uh, as a game so 30 uh, 30,000 copies actually well yeah no, I was thinking of it working technically. Uh, the, okay, because that's the key. That's the key, isn't it? That the, the, you've got to come along and bring something to this. Um, uh, and what they're bringing to it is, of course, this is a, this is a modern game, you know, on, on an old platform. This the, let's have the experience of one on the other. But what they ha- the limitation they haven't got with that, uh, as you would have with something like Hyper Sentinel, for example. Um, you know, there's no way the Hyper Sentinel could go on this at C64. I mean, you know, what was fun about, about Hyper Sentinel uh, is when you look at it, you think, whoa, all the things we couldn't do back in the day, you know, are on here. Whereas with farming simulator, you haven't got those technical issues, have you? Uh, because it's so much slower. Uh, to, to The execution time is not a problem. So, so um, that's me personally. That's me personally. I would always struggle with that. I'm, I'm much more interested all the time in what's coming next. What's coming next? What's coming next? Um, I don't know what you think, Robert, whether you want to go back to... I mean, you would have to you would have to be producing a game that would... Uh, I mean, in fact, it'd be a good idea uh, go around and look at modern, successful games and think, which of them could we actually implement on the C64? Because there wouldn't yeah, be that I... many...
3: I mean, there's 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 a difference between uh, a passion project and a, a, a business strategy, yeah. isn't there? And uh, I, I mean, farming simulator doing thirty thousand units on the C64 is actually quite impressive, uh, you know, for a, a, a what thirty year old piece of piece of hardware. Um, but uh, is there a business strategy to make that work sustainably? I I struggle to see it. Um, Would it be something that I could do as a passion project? Sure. I just don't have any time for passion projects because we're trying to run a business. Um, But um, yeah, no, I mean, uh, what really gets me excited is, you know, I've been designing games since 2005 and it's always coming up with new things. What can the technology allow us to do that's exciting We've got new consoles around the corner in 2020 coming out. So there's going to be exciting new. Well, we, we think it's 2020, don't we? They haven't actually told us yet. Um, so there's exciting new opportunities uh, that, that, that are coming up. And and that's what gets, gets me excited is, you know, what we can do and what we can come up with and how we can push things. And also uh, the technical ability to write a game for the Commodore 64. I'm not sure we possess it. You know, we'd have to get somebody who's very familiar with writing uh, games for the, the C64 to work on something for us. We don't ha- necessarily have that knowledge um, in-house. Or certainly there'd be a lot of relearning anyway to, to, to do. I'd have to ask John.
0: <laughs> well, at least due to the retro hype, there are even new books being written and published on assembler coding.
3: Yes. So. Yeah. It's it, Yeah, it's one of those things where you'd have to, really go right i'm going to write a game in a, in, in assembler but uh, and go, i'm not i'm not going to write a game in unity i'm going to write a game in assembler. Well,
2: unity you yeah. couldn't implement on the thing at all i mean you know you'd be well
3: exactly you'd
2: be, you'd be faced with exactly the same problems that you had in the old days uh the um I, i'm sure the tools are still around uh that that uh, uh the software tools it's a case of finding the right people with the tools uh and to be honest it wouldn't be that difficult to do would it uh we no. all know the name the names of the people uh, that you'd be um so uh that won't be so difficult um uh whether the books are available uh is another matter um i suppose they'll all be out of print won't they yeah
3: uh, I mean, people yes. are writing new stuff on the internet and you know the the, the scene is keeping it alive aren't they? um so uh it, it's certainly something you could do but you'd have to put a lot of work in. Mm. I I mean, it reminds me of I was at Play Expo Manchester looking at the ZX Spectrum Next uh, a a couple of weeks ago and they were showing me some of the software. And uh, Gary Biasillo, who wrote uh, Slayer for Houston and Future Basketball, and he lives in Japan now, writing games out in Japan, he's written uh, a a tool. uh, I think it's called Next. It's a music tool for the ZX Spectrum Next. To, so that you can compose uh, chip tune music on the on the new ZX Spectrum so there you go there's a guy from who was <laughs> writing games 30 years ago who's still writing games today who has written this this tool in his spare time because he's passionate about it and for, you know to, to get this, the Spectrum next scene moving as it were so there's definitely people out there doing fantastic stuff um, whether we could find a way as a business model to, to, to do a C64 game who knows? But um, I think it's tricky.
0: Actually, I have a practical example. Um, two years ago, uh, former SNK employees, who were known for their beat 'em ups, made a new game after um, 18 years. That was the first commercially published game since 18 years for the Super Nintendo called Unholy Night, <laughs> and and um, you could only buy it in places like Amazon USA and I was doing my order and it took six weeks to get it to me so I was actually calling Amazon customer support and I was asking where's my Super Nintendo game and they (laughs) they were telling me they didn't expect so much order so they had to ask the manufacturer to to make more units (laughs) because they they got so many orders they couldn't get it delivered in time to everybody and didn't have enough stock though this shows that there is a potential for if if you are coming in the right time for retro um, platforms or, oh, absolutely. or another example it, it, another it, it, example would be a Zem Journey um, this jump and run that sold now thousands of copies by protovision well, for the Yeah I mean
3: you you're, you're you're right there are opportunities I mean um, tanglewood On the Mega Drive, um, uh, uh, Matt, who develops that, is here in Manchester. I know him. And he obviously ran a successful Kickstarter campaign and and raised, what, £50,000. And he's found that, you know, one of the last Mega Drive dev kits (laughs) in the world or, you know, I don't know, in Europe. He's found it anyway. And he's made and he's had to go to China and get them to manufacture Mega Drive cartridges for his game. And um, he's going to do it again. I spoke to him again at Play Expo a couple of weekends ago. And he's like, yep, I'm doing another Mega Drive ne- game next. So <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you know, who knows? It's, uh, it's uh, but, you know, there are ways of doing it, I suppose, if you want to, if, if you want to do that. <laughs> but, uh, I don't know where. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know how you make it work.
0: It's, it's, it's quite interesting. Actually, a, a brilliant and very nice guy. I emailed him a couple of times. And, so... Yeah, I had some conversations with him.
3: He's Yes, he's a lovely
0: guy. Yeah, He, yeah,
3: yeah. he bought a Hyper Sentinel uh, collector's USB cassette, so there we go.
0: Were <laughs> actually most uh, buyers from the UK? Uh,
3: yes, I think the UK uh, followed by the USA. Uh, I think Germany might be the third market in terms of uh, people who've bought the book and uh, the, the collector's USB
0: cassettes we're doing, yes nice so, so let's talk a bit about your current kickstarter which you mentioned earlier droid assault what is yes. about that tell me a bit about it
3: okay uh so droid assault is uh developed by Pu- puppy games and it's as i said it's a, a paradroid style game except much more fast uh paced much more arcadey uh so you uh can uh, as in paradroid you can take control of other droids but uh, but in, in in droid assault when you take control of other droids they join your group and they all follow you around as a group and you can switch between those uh, those robots at will once you've collected them and you progress through the levels obviously destroying other droids or, or taking them over and they've got a huge variety of weapons you know flamethrowers and lasers and plasma rifles and and grenade launchers and uh, they all have different uh, abilities. So it's kind of taking some of the spirit of, of, of games like Paradroid and, and, and Quasitron uh, and giving it a kind of really modern arcade uh, vibe. Uh, so that's um, the game from Puppy Games. And uh, as I said, it's, um, it's on the USB cassette format. So um, this is a physical release. So if you've got a collection of Houston games on your shelf, there's Spectrum and Commodore 64 games. You can slot Droid Assault on the collector's USB cassette right alongside it. It is a genuine cassette jewel case. Uh, when you open it up, there's the USB cassette. I don't know if uh, how how well you can see here on the camera. So it's a gen- genuine jewel case, as I said. Comes shrink wrapped, and the the cassette pops open like that with the the USB uh, drive on there. So that has got the Windows, Linux, Mac versions of Droid Assault on it, plus. A ton of uh, special features. We've got indie game demos. So there's five indie game demos on there. There is um, soundtrack albums. Um, there's a whole archive of Houston magazine clippings. Over 2,000 pages scanned from uh, Houston magazines. Um We've hit stretch goal one in the Kickstarter campaign, which means the the Houston interviews are on there, which is a, 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 a over an hour long footage, uh, you know, interviewing uh, dad uh, about um, about all the games. Um, so it's yeah, it's a, it's a new collection that you can line up on your shelves. This is this is zero zero one in the collection, which is a fabulous number um, if for any Paradroid fans. So you <laughs> might be able to see it there. Zero zero one. And uh, we're going to go on to 002, 003, and we've got a whole host of fantastic Neo Retro games uh, lined up for that. So um, it's great. Yeah, we're, uh, we're really excited about it.
0: I wonder um, why didn't you go and decided to um, use using use publishing or was it using limited? I think it was, right?
3: Using no. consultants, it was originally. Using yeah. consultants,
0: okay. Why didn't you? Why didn't you continue using that name? Why did you? Um, make well, we a, don't own the name. name. We don't own the name, but more importantly, Ooh. it's a, okay. a NAF name anyway.
2: Uh, I always thought it was NAF, uh, and the uh, the uh, the we only we're, the, the story. I don't people. I don't know whether I've told this before, but the um, uh, the reason we used it in the early days was simply that. Um, uh, when I started working on the book, the original book and the first small ad, I'd already already got the company set up because I did some consultancy work. I was a statistician, I did some consultancy work. So Houston consultants already existed. The bank account existed, all the, all, the, all the you know all the background was in there. And so um, so I used that name and of course it just got carried on uh, uh, and um, uh, the, uh, when I wanted to change it, you know everybody said oh no don't change it it's established now <laughs> but you did change it in the right. end 21st century entertainment yes which i thought was a great name the uh, the uh, yeah the um, yeah i thought of that one although uh, the americans came along and said you do understand that entertainment means something else in the states you know entertainment is like everybody taking their clothes off and doing things like that
0: <laughs> 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 what Oh, you can't please everybody, can you? Uh, but but you weren't known for Santa, uh, Samantha Fox Strip Poker, so. No, no, that God. was that was another company. That was not us. That was not yeah. us. Samantha Fox Strip Poker. <laughs> I've forgotten about that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 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 famous because Chris Hulspec did the music for it, and he didn't even know that he was doing the music for It's <laughs> that right. I never knew that. <laughs> yeah, he didn't ha. know what what he they, what never, he told was going... they <laughs> yeah. never told him they never told him until it was too late yeah <laughs> um, so
3: i think the other thing is with huey games you know uh, everybody knows the connection uh back to, to back to houston but really you know this is the next era so uh, it needs future, it? got a new name
0: so now you need a kid, and now um, you need to continue this family business. Well, and
3: well, I do have a son. He's downstairs at the moment getting ready for bed. So he's two years old. So you never know.
0: He, maybe he will be the next publisher or um, video <laughs> oh, game goodness. developer. You well, know? I'm not going to see that, am I? <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You never know. We might be telling him about this uh, interview in 30 years' time. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's it. yeah. Um, so, Andrew, you said earlier we were surprised that people are very interested in hearing your old stories. Um, do you still think this way, or are you more open about it now, seeing that it's good that those history moments are not lost because you bought this book? Oh
2: yes. I mean, I'm delighted. Uh, I'm delighted. I suppose. Um, when we were living through it, we didn't think of it as history. But I can see, I can see the interest in it in it now. Um, uh, I mean, it's like everything else. We all have our individual interests, don't we? And there is a proportion of people who look back on that period fondly. And I've had so many people come up to me uh, over uh, over the years, not just recently, but in the past as well. You know, you bump into people, and you say hello, uh, you know, and you introduce yourself to somebody in the right age group, and they sort of go, that's an interesting name. You don't know you don't know to learn know that. And I said, yeah, no, actually it was me. Uh, and they go, oh, you know, and you get that reaction. Do you know what you did to my to, to me at a certain age? Do you, I had this, oh, I had that. And they all start telling you, you know, what their favourite, and of course what their favourite game is, and it can be something you think. Oh, yes, I do remember that one. I didn't really play it very much. Slayer, for example, I never played that one very much. Uh, the, uh, because, uh, because when you've published, you know, a fair number of them, then, then you, you, you think, oh, yes, no, I didn't. Yes, I didn't really work so much on that one. But anyway, it doesn't matter. You, then you may mention like somebody like Gary Ballasino Ballas, you know, and um, Future Basketball, which I did play uh and um so yes they, they, i come across people and every, oh and then other people come up to me sidle up to me and say um yes i'd you quite well from pirating your games and selling them in the playground you know you think oh
0: don't tell me that <laughs> don't tell me that but they, of course that's what people did mm. so um rob now, now you are in the same business, even though you said that you better wouldn't do it. Um, what is your opinion about this game industry nowadays? I mean, from my perspective, I see there's a lot of high-end fire, and there is a, um, a big risk of um, losing your investment if your game doesn't sell well. Um, uh,
3: it's massively competitive. Uh, I mean, it, it's always changing, isn't it? The games industry. It was only uh, what four or five years ago when all of a sudden indie developers were making a ton of money on Steam, and now if you release a game on Steam, it you've, you know it makes nothing at all. So um, it's 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 really uh, it's always evolving, and it's um, massively competitive, but it's also much, much, much bigger than uh, it was, you know, in the 80s. It's a global industry. Um, There's so many platforms, uh, so many different um, markets uh, within those platforms. You know, people who play Candy Crush Saga on their iPhone are not the same people who are playing Call of Duty on PlayStation 4 at all. You know, there's virtually no crossover, but they're both... Um, making huge amounts of money so I think it's much bigger much more competitive um, very difficult still very difficult but in different ways I think it's easier to make get functionally to make a game than it was in the 80s it was it was incredibly technically challenging back then now anyone can pick up unity and watch a tutorial and make something functional um, in some ways I think it's harder to make, uh, a good game though a, a commercially good game because the bar has risen so high um that you the attention to detail that you you, need, you have to go to, to to get something that's commercially good is is extremely high and um so it's easier to make games than it ever was but there's very few people who can make good games you know you have to have a lot of experience to be able to make good games um and it's interesting it's always changing i mean we've got virtual reality now uh, you know that's Okay, it's not a huge market, but it's a market uh, that has come out in the last few years. Uh, Who knows what's around the corner? We've got Google Stadia. Google are making a big move into the games industry and they're not bringing out a console. They're bringing they're they're doing a cloud based streaming service for games. You know, everyone's fighting over who's going to have the Netflix of games. Um, You know, certainly Google are moving into that space. Microsoft, we know, are working on it. So uh, and, and that doesn't that potentially opens up um, the market because you don't need to have, as you know, you don't need to have uh, super powerful hardware to run a game, that, whether it's just video being streamed over the cloud. You can have a, a high performance game running on a mobile phone because it's just a video stream. The latency is obviously the, 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 the technical issue. But there's also opportunities in terms of multiplayer. You're no longer having um, a client server. For your sort of online multiplayer games every you know you've got one server that everybody who's playing that game is running from so you could have thousands of people playing multiplayer without the kind of synchronization issues you get between client and server uh, on current multiplayer games so who knows where that's going to go it could be massive it could be not work at all it could be too soon it's um it's an interesting time and it's always evolving i think that's The thing that always interests me the technology is always evolving and um, therefore there's always opportunities to be found
0: actually interesting that you mentioned virtuality that was here before in 94 and it actually (laughs) failed miserably
3: yeah well that was too too early wasn't it i mean um, the technology then was not good enough and now it's good enough and it's it's the same with the google stadia move we had on live back in what 20 2011 was it that it came out on live trying to do cloud gaming but the broadband infrastructure wasn't there yet now it's everything's moved on we've a lot more of us have got super high speed fiber optic uh and on the other side of it people like massive companies like google with who've got an army of engineers have worked out you know compression algorithms and all the rest of it it's the same concept as on live in 2011 but um time moves on is it's, it's you know sometimes techno people uh, do things too early and the the market's not ready
0: <laughs> so andrew i would like to know you said the game publishing was coming to an end for you what did you do after actually i took some time off um
2: and uh, I, I, I actually spent uh, two or three years um, just re-educating myself uh, with uh, the internet, would you believe? Um, so uh, I, I bought a load of books and uh, I worked on developing them. Um, uh, Contract bridge. Do you play bridge, the card game? Do you know anyone? I, I know, I know the game, but I don't play it. No. Well, there are 200 million people who play it around the world, and they're all my, uh, you know, my age and older. Uh, and so um, I worked on producing a, a site to do that for a while. Uh, but that's really the reason I did all the technical reading up on that. So I, I learned a lot about that I hadn't known about how client-server relationships work over the internet, and how the internet itself works, and, um, uh, and how the data is sh- uh, shuffling around that. So, um, but basically, that was um, just me cruising for a bit, which uh, I felt entitled to do. Uh, and then, um, then uh, you won't believe this, but it's perfectly true. I set up an accountancy company. Uh, because, um, you know, they, uh, uh, you have a technical back, background. The kind of uh, work that people do in accounts is, uh, the maths of it is easy. You know, I mean, there's nothing to it, really, to be honest. It's all about, It does this balance. Yes, it does. Oh, there we go. On we go. Uh, and, and it's quite interesting, technically, because it's full of rules that, that are all local to the country. You know, there's no, you know, they all apply in the UK. And uh, the international nature of it is much smaller. Um, so, and, uh, I've been running that for the last 15 years. And in fact, I've, I've finished it now. The company's still going. Uh, and, um, uh, so I, I, I ran that for 15 years in the end.
0: And now you are retired yeah. in a way. Okay. Yeah. Although when you're, uh, when you've been
2: working for yourself for 30 years, retirement is an interesting concept because it's, it's more like a slow fading away. It's a bit, you know, Robert rings me up and says, what about this? Oh, all right. Get involved with that. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. We're going to Poland
3: next weekend, aren't we? We're going going to Poland Poland next weekend to the Pixel Heaven uh, exhibition to do a talk there. So there we go.
0: Yeah. I saw David Pleasance will be there also, I guess. Uh,
3: Yeah. Yeah. I saw David uh, again at Play Expo Manchester a couple of weeks ago, and he was very excited to, 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 to learn that, that dad was going and to have a beer and catch up about the old days.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, it's 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 nice to see that you didn't listen to your father and got involved into computer games anyway, or video games, as you, as you may say. Yeah,
3: unfortunately, it's not it's not the first time I've not listened to my father and probably won't be the last, much to uh, his uh, dismay.
0: Now, the next mission is getting your son into the business yeah, well. uh, once he's old enough.
3: You never know. You never know. Maybe, maybe, I mean, look at me. My hair's fallen out as well. So I've obviously been working in the games industry long enough to probably warn him off it.
0: (laughs) Alrighty. Um, So, Troit Assault is a new IP, I guess. So I wonder, will there be more games that will be coming out soon or next year or something that were original Houston games, just like Hyper Sentinel, or yeah, is so there nothing? Absolutely. In the so
3: we're working on games at the moment, um, and uh, we haven't shown much of them, uh, but we have we have uh, announced what they're called. Um, one of the games is called Wreck Out. Um, and if you search for that, you can see a little bit about that. It was, uh, it was revealed on the Kinda Funny Games showcase um, towards the end of last year. And the other one is called uh, Mechanus, and that is, uh, that's a massive title for us. And we're very excited about that for um, Next Gen Systems. So, uh,
0: yeah, watch this space. Great. So, where can people find your stuff, apart from the Kickstarter, of course? Uh, Well,
3: uh, you can follow us um, on Facebook, forward slash Huey Games. It's H-U-E-Y, by the way. Uh, And on Twitter, it's Huey underscore Games. Uh, Follow us there. The website is HueyGames.com. Our Discord, we're on Discord as well. So um, we post the link to the Discord server on our uh, our social channels. And if you want to sign up for our monthly newsletter, it's HueyGames.com forward slash newsletter. And uh, you'll get lots of lovely, juicy, behind-the-scenes information on there each month. Great. Thank
0: thank you you very much. Have a good time. Bye-bye. Bye.